Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. One of the most revered and meaningful events for the Christian took place a couple thousand years ago on a hilltop just outside of the walls of Jerusalem. I'm speaking, of course, of the crucifixion of Christ. That Friday afternoon scene is always on the minds of those who are called by his name. But have you ever wondered why it had to happen? To pay the price for our sins, I hear some say. He died so we can live eternally, others suggest. Let's put that same question to Dr. Jennings today, who joins us via Skype. Okay, Dr. Jennings, why did Christ have to die, and what does that say about God? The time is yours. Well, you know, that's a great question, Charles, and it is the heart of Christianity, yes, isn't it? Yes, It really is. And so before I get into some explanation, let's just lay some foundation, because I've discovered that when I give some of my explanation— people sometimes will, will think I'm saying something I'm not saying. Mm. And so let's foundationally just affirm some things. Number one, after Adam's sin in Eden, no human being could be saved from sin without the life, the sinless life, the incarnation, sinless life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a requirement for our salvation. Mm. That's foundational. Now we can explain as to, well, what was needed? Why was it a requirement? We'll go into that in a minute. But there is no getting around that from my perspective anyway. The incarnation, sinless life, death and resurrection of Christ is the requirement for human beings to be saved from sin. Then we can say, I also believe in, quote, substitutionary atonement, unquote. However, those words have big meaning. And the substitutionary atonement I believe in is, I will quote it straight out of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And this is what the Scripture reads, quote, He who knew no sin became sin for us. I'm pausing. I'm pausing the quote. That's substitution. He became sin for us. Substitution. Okay, continue with the quote so that we might become the righteousness of God, unquote. Mm -hmm. So there is the reason Christ became sin, took our place, for the purpose of us becoming the righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. It wasn't for the purpose of doing something to his dad, which is often the way it's, it's presented. We will deconstruct that in a moment. Mm -hmm. So when I suggest sometimes that uh, the reason Christ had to die was not to do something to his dad, people will say, well, you don't believe in substitutionary atonement. I absolutely do. But atonement means at one mint, restoring us to unity, reconciling us to God. And so in order to understand the purpose of Christ's death, in order to save sinners, one has to accurately identify what was the problem that sin caused, that the plan of salvation, the life, death, resurrection of Christ, was designed to fix. So when Adam sinned, did God get changed? No, no, well, no, no, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yeah. Did God's law change? No, no. Well, no, it's eternal and divine and perfect. Did the actual condition of Adam and Eve, humankind, change? Mm. Did Adam and Eve, after they sinned, were they still faithful, loyal, righteous, holy beings who simply now had a legal problem with the magistrate in heaven? Or did something in their being change? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible makes it very clear. Something in their being changed. 
And this is what the Bible says about the rest of us descended from Adam. We're born in sin, conceived in iniquity, or the Bible says that we're, quote, dead in trespass and sin. We have a condition that none of us chose, that we inherited from Adam and Eve, that without remedy results in ruin and death. That's the sin condition. It's out of harmony with God. And so the question on why then Christ had to die comes down to the question of how do we understand God's law? If we understand that God's law works like human law, system of rules that you make up that requires external legal enforcement, then the sin problem is a legal problem. And Christ had to come in order to make legal adjustments, uh, pay legal prices, uh, apply those payments into some type of legal court system in the heavenly registry somewhere that we could have some legal adjustment with the magistrate of the universe. That is often how it's taught. And it's all based on the flawed premise that God's law functions no differently than the type of law human beings make up. But when we worship God as creator, the one who builds space, time, energy, matter, and life, then we understand that his laws are the laws that he constructed reality to operate upon, not just the physical laws like the laws of physics and law of gravity, but the living law of love upon which life is constructed to operate. And sin transgresses his law and takes the sinner out of harmony with the basis of life. And thus Christ did not come to do something to God or do something to God's law because the sin problem doesn't exist in God, nor does the sin problem exist in God's law. The sin problem exists in the living beings known as humans. And so Christ took up humanity to eradicate the death-causing principle and restore in the life-causing protocols that God built life to operate from in the beginning. It's all about us, Dr. Jennings. It's all about us. I mean, he came to restore us. Like you say, God didn't change, the laws didn't change, but we were out of sync. It seems like what you're saying is that when Jesus came, he had us on his mind. He wanted to restore something in us. Am I on the right track saying that? Well, you're exactly on the right track, but see, the big divide really is the question of law. If his law works like human law, then the wages of sin is an inflicted punishment yeah. by the ruling magistrate yeah. who must kill you for the punishment. And he didn't want to do that because he loved us, so he sent Jesus, and the sins of everybody were put on Jesus, and God punished the sins in his son, executing his son in our place. And this is how it's often taught in many aspects of Christianity. Right. But the Bible doesn't teach this. What the Bible teaches in Romans 6.23 is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Or James chapter 1, verse 15, sin when full grown brings forth death. Or Galatians chapter 6.8, those who sow to the carnal nature, from that nature reap destruction. So when you understand that the, the law of God is actually the law upon which life is built by him to operate, and sin transgresses or deviates from that law, it results in death unless the creator restores his perfection into the species, mm -hmm. meaning the new covenant experience, I'll write my law on your heart and mind. Right. No sinner could do this for himself. So Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, took up the condition, faced temptation in every way just like we are, but with each temptation he chose with his human abilities to act God's law of love out or live that law of love out perfectly. 
restoring the humanity he took upon himself back into perfect harmony with his father. And thus he rose again on the third day, becoming the second head of humanity or the second Adam. He did not become the second Charles Mills or the second Tim Jennings. He became the second Adam. And then we who have faith by faith partake or metaphorically, he's the vine where the branches were grafted in. Mm -hmm. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. We get a new heart and right spirit, receive the victory of Christ reproduced in us by his presence. My, that is such good news, Dr. Jennings. I mean, uh, when I look at myself or, or other people may look at themselves and they say, you know, I, I am unsavable. I am, I am so bad. This is, this is not going to work. They're forgetting what you just said, that there is a God who is willing to eclipse us. Am I right in saying that? He's willing to actually take the brokenness that's in us, remove the brokenness, and put in perfect righteousness. Oh, He's really, he, he will heal the human being. Some people hear what I say and go, oh, you're saying he heals the carnal nature. No, no he doesn't no. heal the carnal nature. He removes or eradicates the carnal nature and puts in a righteous nature, oh. the nature that Christ developed for us. And so if you look at the various metaphors of Scripture for the individual salvation, the various metaphors for scripture, we are reborn. Yes, we start yes, life new. Yes. We have circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. We have the heart of stone removed, and we have a tender heart put in. We have the law written upon the heart and mind. We have the mind of Christ. We die to the old life, and we arise to the new. All old is gone. The new has come. He creates in us a clean heart and a right spirit. Notice all of these various things, concepts, are not legal. They are reconstructional. They're healing. They're transformational. They're regenerational. That is the true plan of salvation, because we're dealing with the creator God who creates reality, and his loving little beautiful children are damaged, and he, if we trust him, will fix the damage and restore us to righteousness. And so the specific text of scripture that support us as we explore this would be 1 Timothy 1.19, that Christ came to destroy death and bring life and immortality to light, that he came to destroy, by his death he destroys him who holds the power of death that is the devil. And he came to destroy death as well. And that he came to destroy the devil's work. That's 1 John 3, 8. And the devil has worked to destroy the image of God in human beings and put satanic image or character in us. And Christ came to destroy the evil in human beings and to put his perfect image back where it was supposed to be. We are image bearers to the creator. And that's what Christ came to do. And we find the perfect image of God lived out in the life of Jesus Christ. We have three minutes left in the program here. And I'm going to probably ask you a 20 minute question. But Dr. Jennings, as a psychiatrist, how do you apply these great truths to your clients who may or may not be interested in knowing about God? How do you work around that? Because you want to fix people too. Why was Christ's death necessary for any human being to be saved, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God? And the scripture is clear. Paul makes it clear in Romans 2 that uh, those who have not heard the law but do by the nature of the things contained in the law are law to themselves, showing that law has been written upon their heart. Mm -hmm. That's the new covenant experience. Those individuals, even if they haven't heard scripture but have the law written upon their heart, are still saved through the achievements of Christ Mm -hmm. because only through what Christ achieved as our substitutionary second Adam, new head of the human species, overcoming the death causing principle and restoring God's law of love back into species human, do we have any access to salvation? How does a person who looks at his or her life and says, you know, it's hopeless, I am unsavable, how do you recommend that that person begin the journey back? What would you say to that person? 
Well, I would say, what do you understand salvation to be? If they feel salvation is something they have to work or merit or earn, you know, I would say, I'd point out to, and begin, that is human law. What can I do to make up for the bad thing I've done? How much is the fine? What is the price I have to pay? This type of thinking. Rather than you've got metastatic cancer spread to all the different organs of your body. The question is not how badly deformed and sick are the cells of your body. The question is, does the physician have a remedy that will put the cancer into remission and restore you to perfect health? And so the power for salvation does not come from the sick sinner. It comes from the creator God who through Christ provides us the solution that will restore all of us to righteousness. And that's what the Bible teaches. Without the victory of Christ at the cross, there's no remission of sin. Sinfulness in humanity does not remit to righteousness. Oh, I think of that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, for the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his goodness and grace. That seems like a perfect, perfect illustration of that. And what you just pointed out there is a design law of by beholding we become changed, law of worship, fix our eyes on Christ and take our eyes off of the sickness. And that's one of the means whereby God does transform us. Listener, I have a website here for you to visit, and that is commonreason.com. Dr. Jennings and his team have made many resources available. He has sharing tracks there and Bible studies, some of them video Bible studies, audio stuff and books. Could it be this simple? The Aging Brain, The God-Shaped Brain, and God-Shaped Heart. All of these resources are waiting for you there at comeandreason.com, as well as these programs. If you'd like to share them with someone, you can link this program or any program you want to that. Send them an email or say on Facebook, "Go, you need to go listen to this. You need to go watch this. And that, that will be a beautiful gift you can give someone that they can go and begin that journey that Dr. Jennings talks about so often on this program of understanding to, to get back to what God had intended for us. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. This program was sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>